Welcome to Material Feels, a monthly podcast based out of Oakland, California, that explores the intimate relationships between artists and their materials. Each episode, we spend time with people who connect with a specific material every day. We sit with creatives of all kinds, studio artists, educators, craftspeople. So far, we've covered clay, wool, wood, and liquor. Today, we'll be delving into a material we all have some experience with, the body. But first, housekeeping. Material Feels is written and produced by your host, me, Catherine Monahan. Please subscribe to the show with whatever podcast app you use on your phone. You can also find it on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Each episode is accompanied by an original piece of music at the very end by my collaborator and assistant producer, Liz Delise. Liz writes, arranges, and produces the song in tandem with the production process, drawing inspiration from our conversations, our adventures, and the material itself. You can listen to these songs separately on Liz's Bandcamp. Just look for the link in the show notes at www.materialfeelspodcast.com. This episode features underscores and clips created by MSFX, Liz Delise, and Thirsk. You'll also hear three songs throughout the show by Phantom Tides, our guest, Grasha. Tracks include An Ocean With No Waves, Break or Bend, and Wayfaring Love. This episode marks the launch of our Patreon, a chance for you to directly support the podcast with money. Material feels as a labor of love, and any coins you can spare go directly to help sustain the show beyond a single season, which is sadly wrapping up this summer. We'll be splitting any contributions to the show with Black-led organizations in the arts on a rotating basis. This month, we are forwarding 50% of funds donated through Patreon to Black Trans Femmes in the Arts, a collective of Black trans femmes based in New York City, dedicated to creating space for Black trans women and non-binary femmes in the arts and beyond. Some other ways to support the show. Follow us on Instagram, at Material Feels. Get friends and family to listen in and review the show on iTunes. A quick heads up about the audio quality of this show. With sheltering in place and social distancing, Grasha and I had to get creative about our interview location and method. You might notice a hint of background noise throughout the episode. Some cute kids playing, a bird chirping. It's also why my voice in the interview sounds so quiet. I really am, in reality, far away from Grasha. About 10 feet to be exact. I like to think that in addition to conversation and reflection, Material Feels takes us on adventures each episode. We sit in on a Saturday class at the Pottery Studio. We visit a mill in the countryside and follow the journey from fleece to yarn. We walk through the woods with fresh eyes. We are transported with a single sip to the sands of Martinique. We are much closer to our adventure than ever before. Hopefully I won't have to try very hard to transport you because you're standing in it already. It's time to catch the feels for our next material. I'm Grasha Logue Sargent, and I work with skin or bodies. My business is called Wild Heart Body Work. Um, I'm not in operation right now, but I will be in the future. And I am based in Oakland, California. My whole life I've been doing like labor gigs. I worked on farms, I was a dishwasher, I've done in-home health care. Partially I got into body work because I was... Like, just out of necessity. And then the other part of it was, I was like, I can really help people around me who have these similar 
gigs that I do who are all kind of broken and beat up and <laughs> need help. I was working on farms for about four or five years at that point. You know, after a good hard day's worth of work, we were, <laughs> me and my partner were both just like tired and sore. And my partner at the time had like a lot of injuries. I think he had like a shoulder injury and he had um, like a knee injury and just like a lot going on. And I had a lot of friends that worked in service like in the service industry. I don't know. I, I really was like, I can, I can help people, you know? I can help my friends. I can help my loved ones. Can you tell me about like a memory of when you, like a story of how you first realized that? Like what made you kind of pursue massage therapy? It's actually, it actually started when I was younger. I was um, working with my brother. My brother's a rock climber. And he's been a rock climber since he's about 18. He's been rock climbing for years and years. And I lived with him when I was about 17 or 18. And he would always come home and be like, I really, I need help. Like, my body hurts so much. Can you just, like, put your knees in my back, <laughs> basically? And I was like, yeah. And I, and I actually did it so much that he was like, you're a great body work you should become a body worker I actually didn't revisit that idea until about 10 years later when I was um when I was doing a similar thing for my partner who was always sore from construction jobs I I have been like in a caretaking role for the majority of my life so it seemed like a natural place for me to end up I guess Massage is an art form with roots dating thousands of years back. Different approaches to bodywork emerged in India, Ayurveda, then China, acupuncture, and Egypt, reflexology, then Japan, shiatsu, then to Greece and Rome as a form of conditioning before athletic competitions, then much later to Sweden in the form of what we know now as Swedish massage. Then there is the new language that comes with the material, defined by the tools, the creative practice, the studio space that creatives have carved out and found a home in. And in this instance, it's, it's kind of stunning how the tools for working with said material are the material itself. Elbows, fists, knuckles, the second set of knuckles, palms, thumbs, fingers placed on top of other fingers as a, like a bracing effect. And then if you're doing Thai massage or Shiatsu massage, you would be using feet and knees and possibly your butt sitting on people while you're doing stretches. And you are also a musician. I am, yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about, about that? I mean, that's that also, to me, speaks to a very specific level of sensitivity. It speaks to listening, too. I think I do a lot of listening in my practice more than I do anything else. Listening, observing, reacting to that. I feel like music is a a great compliment to body work because it's it's kind of like a play, you know? Like when you're working on someone and you're feeling you're feeling feelings that are kind of like reverberating off of them. When I'm working on people, generally I feel like sometimes I'll feel like the drama of an emotion unfolding in a muscle. Like someone feels the struggle, they'll either be verbally saying it or you can just feel it come up in their muscles and their tissue where it's like, it's like there's knots and chaos and then it's like a smooth ride out. It's like a whole storyline. 
inside of the body, just in one line that I could draw down the body. So in that way, while I'm listening to music, it's like a reflection of that. It can be sewn into it. A line would be wherever the flesh gives way. So muscular musculature is striated. and it has like lines in it that go in a certain direction. And so sometimes I'll kind of ride the muscle into another group of muscles or in other times like I'll go in between two muscles and like try and kind of wiggle them apart. It's like surfing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So, so like, I'm not a great surfer, but it is exactly what I imagine surfing to be because it's like you can feel the the relaxation kind of rolling ahead of your tool, your hand or your fist or your elbow. You can kind of feel it kind of like giving way little by little. And that's like the beautiful thing about riding lines. Like you can go across these striations to kind of break them apart, which is like giving it friction, which some people respond better to. Honestly, some people respond, like different people respond to different things really well. It's just like any other therapy. Sometimes people like to be like jostled to kind of be like shaken out of the tension. And sometimes people like to be kind of like crushed and squeezed out, like dried out, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then sometimes they like a combination of both and it's kind of just like intuiting what's needed where. It's like an unspoken play between you and the person. Like I'm, I'm there standing there, putting my body weight into certain motions, but like the person who's on the table is breathing and meeting me in the middle just by trying to open themselves. So it's kind of like, not a tug of war, I guess another, like a way that, a great way to describe it would be like, what would be a great way to describe yeah. it? <laughs> it's, it's a creation, but it's also like an unmaking. Massage is a particularly enthralling craft to me because it sits at so many intersections. It's a service, a performance, a therapy. And we all have a profoundly unique experience of the material at hand, the body, the flesh we live in. So I am a really big proponent of bodywork being accessible to everyone. I have a sliding scale in my practice. I am very aware of the economic and systematic oppressions and racism that it exists in this country and and how unavailable monetarily to like poorer classes bodywork really is it's one of the most frustrating parts about bodywork is that this most basic need that we all deserve is is not accessible and the need to be touched and the need to be touched yeah and and it's it's a it's a human right you know like it is a right to receive care i have been doing in home healthcare since I was 16 years old. You know, like most people who are disabled are spending a lot of their money just funneling it towards just basic living needs, food, you know, medical bills, like getting around is hard. Right. Like being in a quit, like needing money for equipment to get around. Depends on what disabilities folks have. 
Um, and that will change the way that I work on a person. Say you have fibromyalgia. People with fibromyalgia generally like have a lot of like nerve pain. And I have found that like general population of people with fibromyalgia that come to see me cannot handle light, light touch. They need deep, firm pressure because otherwise it's like lightning rods through their skin for that light, light pressure. I have a client who has fibromyalgia and Raynaud's syndrome, and they cannot handle being touched lightly from the waist down, but from the waist up, they're very sensitive to pressure. I mean, we this is bringing a full circle back to consent culture in the massage room and just talking to people and not being afraid to ask questions about their needs and showing them that it's okay for them to need things. <laughs> Do you think that people who aren't body workers think about this kind of thing? Do you think this is talked about in society? Yeah, I mean, I think somatic therapy is something that's bringing that kind of visibility to the general public of like feelings being physical. That is really exciting about somatic therapy, I think right now and like the whole movement. This is stuff that would be hard in our culture to acknowledge every day without being a body worker. So being a body worker, I do have this very this very privileged position of having this viewpoint because I just get to see it over and over again, you know, and I get to see it over every single economic class. Like we're all worn out and we all respond in very similar ways to stress and capitalism. The system is broken, our bodies are broken. And I I see that so much. And, I, and other body workers see it too, you know? While we all have a very specific experience of our own bodies, there is a common thread we all share, trigger points. In everyday language, we call these knots. Muscle is made up of fibers or lines. These lines are made up of millions of sarcomeres, which contract and release as we move and respond to our environment. Stress can also cause them to contract. When we experience stress, our muscles tighten in preparation. When our sarcomeres become overstimulated and unable to release, the fibers shorten and form a tight band. This decreases blood supply and causes nerve irritation. Multiple sarcomere knots form a trigger point, a point that causes pain to radiate to other areas of our bodies. These trigger points won't release without proper treatment. And more often than not, proper treatment means paying attention to those pain points, acknowledging the emotions that brought that pain there, feeling that pain. times when I work on people I ask people to breathe folks will have a hard time acknowledging that they have pain in certain areas and breath really makes you acknowledge that you have it because you have to slow down you don't rush past it you have to stay there for a minute you know and be uncomfortable but I do find like yeah I feel like I like help people acknowledge their grief a lot in my work Trauma-informed care is a form of care that I think involves empowerment and use of information and consent to create like a comfortable setting, a safe space for people to do their healing. Trauma can last for a very, very, very long time, indefinitely. 
really. I see a lot of trauma through fear mostly and ticklishness. Being ticklish is, is um, it's a guarding mechanism. When you are uh, responding in a ticklish way, your body is saying, I do not want that to happen. <laughs> you can't really be in touch with your body when you're ticklish. You're like trying to get away. And that's what I see a lot is people will come in and they'll be like, I'm very tickle, I'm extremely ticklish. And like, usually people have a hard time working on me because I'm ticklish. But it's really because they need, they need you to go slow is what their body's saying. Their body's saying, I'm ticklish when you move too fast. So I work with a lot of trans and queer people. A lot of trans and queer people are extremely traumatized growing up in places where it's not okay to be trans you know it's even in the like quote-unquote safest of places even in places like the bay it's still very scary I can't speak I'm for trans people because I'm a cis body person I guess it shows up as just um needing a lot of communication and consent consent is is really really necessary and moving slowly and and making sure that I check in to be like, are you okay? Are you still with me? <laughs> Some people will say like, I'm just going to cry and I just want to do that. So don't don't mind me, just do what you're going to do. And I will, I will like, of course, like lighten my pressure and I will like enter like a more gentle zone if that's where we're at. And other people, it becomes so intense that, you know, I, I stop and I'm like, let's take a minute. Right. We don't have to, go, like, we have time, right. you know? And a lot of the majority of my sessions are, I usually start with people like, our time on the table is when we actually start the session. Sometimes it's longer. They need to cry. They need someone to, like, witness them having their feelings about how unfair it is and how alone they feel and how every kind of emotion you could ever think of really <laughs> like even even moments of joy and being grateful can be extremely painful so just having like compassion for that and leaving room for their stories to take place allow people to really be themselves and to feel seen I think is really an important part of my work like I'm not always in my head being like oh this is like a trans person and they're like having a hard time and it's because they're trans you know I don't right. I don't really go through that narrative it's more just like this is a person who needs I mean and of course like I hold space for like those narratives I have a lot of people of color that also come to see me that have a lot of like super fucked up shit to tell me <laughs> you know and i'm like there's space for all these stories it is a case by case thing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. truly everyone has an individual experience that is unlike others and it's really important to look at that and be like there is a real gray area that we can't see and to allow your imagination to expand so that your compassion can expand with it. The way that I go about trauma-informed care is by asking questions. Because a lot of the things that I experience as 
someone feeling unsettled or like something coming up is, is like an unspoken thing. It's like the air in the room kind of changes. There's like a tinge of tenseness um, or fear, really. Fear comes up a lot around opening up a part of yourself that you're not really ready to see or experience. And I, I do a lot of, you know, consent, consent-based practices is what I've learned in school and what I learned in my community, but it, it's also paying attention and listening, listening to what people's bodies are saying, taking moments to pause and, and create a, like slow down the roll. People don't think, you know, they think I'm on a train and I have to stay on this train because I agreed to this train and there's no way off this train. And then they get scared because they're like, I'm on a, on a train going nowhere. You know, they don't know where it's going. So kind of having a, a spirit of transparency around what you're doing. Maybe saying, um, I'm gonna touch here now. Or like even stopping and, and saying, how do you feel? Do you want to continue? letting people know that they have autonomy over what's being done to them like they they're empowered to say no or steer steer the ship <laughs> yeah know? yeah i think that's interesting because not only might that person be wanting their body worked on but that might be like a new experience for them to have someone checking in with them yeah that's that happens quite a bit and also people will come in not really understanding that they have a lot of feelings happening. And when they get on the table, they just pour out, you know, mm -hmm. tears come, grief, the grief comes out. Some people don't get touched for very long periods of time. Being on my table is the only time that they get touched, you know? So it's like a very, it's a highly emotional place. Trauma shows up in a number of ways from chronic headaches to chronic pain anywhere in the body, really. Like, people hold things in all, all parts depending on how they hold things. Not one of us is the same. One person's headaches might be like trauma. Another person's headaches might be because they can't sleep at night. Another person's headaches might be because they're sleeping like wrong. Their neck is like too far up. You know, it's, it's, it shows up in various forms. But that in itself is also reflective of like what we feel day to day. You're sleeping wrong or you're not sleeping at all. Why is that? You're stressed out. You're having feelings of despair, grief. It all ends up in the body. I find that feelings, they always have a physical repercussion. They always have a physical repercussion. I've never, I never believed that so much as like feeling it through other people's bodies. What does that feel like for you, physically and, and mentally? Sometimes it's really overwhelming. It's like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm really empathetic. And it, when I first started doing body work, it was really hard for me to um, like ward off like the physical ailments that came from just touching someone with a lot of pain. I remember this one very distinct time, and this was like the, the biggest example I had of it at the time, and it always sticks in my mind, is I was touching um, this client's foot in a very particular place, and I immediately had a pain in my own foot in the exact same place, a very sharp pain. And I was like, is this very sharp? And they were like, yes, it's killer. 
you know? And I was just like, we, we communicate in so many unseen ways. It's still hard for me to believe, you know, until I feel it again. And then I'm like, it's real, you know? I think how it shows up can really depend on who you are and how you feel your feelings and how you relate to your body. Do you disassociate from your body? And disassociation, as I understand it, is like removing yourself from your body in order to avoid experiencing those emotions. Yeah, and I think that that even happens a lot in massage. Like people will come in and they'll be like, crush me, steamroll me, like just squeeze me out like a tube of toothpaste. You know, I, I want to meet someone in the middle. I want to be like, I I want to give you the thing that you want. And also I want to be safe and I want to listen to your body and mm. and do what your body is saying, like somewhere in between what you're saying and your body is saying. If the skin isn't if the, if the skin and the flesh and the like the layer, the layers beneath my hands are not feeling like they're giving way. I don't want to go any deeper. Mm. I don't want to press beyond people's like the boundaries that I can feel. I want to give my client the thing that they that they desire and also I want to meet the I want to meet them halfway between that and what their body is telling me. An essential part of Grasha's work is holding space for that unspoken gap between what we verbalize what we say we need, and how our bodies communicate what we actually need. That just blows my mind. How vast is that distance between what you say you need and what you feel you need? How can we help one another narrow that distance? What systems in society force individuals to disassociate from their bodies? Are there certain bodies that need to feel more numbed, more distant, just to survive on a daily basis? And how does Grasha, as a body worker, feel and see and then act on all of this information? So can you just, like, help me understand more how you feel what the body needs? I go really slow in my work. It's like a slow rolling wave to me, how I imagine it. Like I'll, I'll do a warm up stroke or two to kind of get the body used to my touch. I'll kind of like take some real deep breaths and I'll like lay my hands on and I'll listen as I'm like moving along. If the fascia and the muscle groups are not like moving beneath my hands or fists or whatever tool I'm using, I don't push past that point because it's traumatizing, <laughs> you know? And, in, and when you do massage, in any case, you are lowering homeostasis. So you're moving further away from homeostasis. You're breaking down tissue. So your body goes into repair. So that's like another reason you don't want to, you don't want to stress the body out even more. You want it to be relaxing and soothing. And the more the person can emotionally get behind what you're doing and the more soothing and relaxing it is, the healthier the outcome. I do think that a little bit of pain is necessary, you know? Like there, are, pain is a, is a great indicator of places where you need to work and it's usually uncomfortable. No one wants to go into a painful place and sit there and feel their feelings and like feel how uncomfortable their body is, you know? But 
every time we do, I find that people come out of it being like, I just feel lighter. And I feel like, like I can move. When you apply pressure to pain points, it works out tension and leaves us feeling lighter. What pain points are we seeing in society, in ourselves? How are we doing the work to acknowledge the pain, move through it, and come out stronger? Usually when a session starts um, and I'm just meeting someone, I am asking them questions about their life. I'm asking them how they use their body, how they move, what they like to do for fun, what kind of stress they're under, like how they feel today. Do they feel tired? Do they feel like pretty energetic? Are they looking forward to this? Are they like grieving, whatever? Um, because that'll tell me a little bit more about like how deep I should actually go. I'll tell them kind of a little bit about myself, what I do, ask them if they have any questions, if there's any place where like I shouldn't go or touch, if they've had any surgeries, are they taking medications, is something that I that I ask to certain people that I've never seen before. The fear is like doing really deep work and then having them get up and kind of like be lightheaded or how they look is really important. Like, do they look fatigued? Are they they hunched over like what does their structure actually look like is one shoulder like more down than the other are they like leaning on a hip do they look are they like holding their wrists or like touching a body part like i'll i'll observe like how they are in their body depending on what i see there i'll ask them to either like raise an arm or i'll ask them like is this hurting it just brings a whole new definition to body language for me yeah, and then we'll, um, I'll, you know, be like, I use shea butter. Usually I'll be like, you can undress fully, you will be fully draped, or you can leave on your underwear as long as I have, like, access to your back, depending on what we're doing. Some, I've had clients who are not comfortable with taking off their, like, bra or, you know, undergarments, which has been fine because I have ways to work around. If, like, the person is, like, super jittery or nervous, I'll do a lot of, like, compressions which tend to like slow the nervousness and bring people back down and really the slower you move the more time people have to get used to you you know no matter what you're doing um so i'll do that and then yeah it's a teamwork effort but at the end of the day like it's about you getting your attention right special attention so every time i do an interview for material feels the communication process teaches me so much about the person i'm talking to how they interact with me is often similar to how they interact with their material indicative of the experiences that material has pulled them into over and over and over again matthew's words flowed spontaneously, just like a clay form shape-shifting on the wheel. Danielle stitched tangential stories in, pausing to examine her roots, much like her curiosity and connection to the origins of the wool she works with. Dominique spoke in a measured way, constructing thoughts with as much precision as their custom furniture pieces.
Redwood poured layer after layer of context into our conversation, blending history, flavor, and poetry, similarly to the way she builds recipes for an immersive craft cocktail experience. With this interview, the constraints of social distancing resulted in something kind of cosmic. Grasha and I sat about 10 feet away from one another. She held the freshly disinfected recorder, which is also the microphone, just inches from her mouth. A long curly cord connected her voice to my studio headphones, my ears. We sat in the long open side yard of her apartment. So when cars passed or helicopters hovered overhead or dogs barked, we would exchange meaningful glances and pause our conversation to let the sound pass us by. Grasha was in charge of stopping and starting the tape, turning up the levels. She had control over the part of the interview that is usually all me. And instead of feeling uncomfortable or stressed, it felt like we were kind of like one. Um, And the fabric of the conversation, it had the same feel as a session with her. That's how I met Grasha. I had a few sessions with her over the years. And during our interview, she would pause and ask, is this okay that I'm talking about this? How is this going? What else do you need from me? And throughout our chat, I found myself repeating back what I heard to make sure I understood, questioning certain words to learn more, thinking out loud to see if we were on the same page. Grasha, as an interviewee, had modeled such positive communication, communication essential to her creative practice, consent, listening, intentionality. She made me a better interviewer while simultaneously putting me at ease in my body. I asked Grasha how she's been doing, what with quarantine, and not being able to work as she usually does. The last couple of months have been pretty hard, but I, I've really taken this time as a time for reflection. And I've been working on a lot of things for myself that I have been putting off for a very long time, like home projects, but also like emotional processings that have kind of been like collecting dust on the wayside. And I I think that's kind of like very familiar for most people right now. A lot of like old, old stuff is surfacing and taking center stage because there is no other stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's mixed. It's beautiful. And I'm, I feel very blessed. I'm, I'm safe and I'm housed. I'm mostly out of the line of fire of things besides being like, an in-home health care worker for one person. I I am stressed out about that. But um, I think it's great for me to get away from body work every now and then. It allows my, like, joints and muscles to take a break from a lot of compression. I miss my clients a lot. I miss, like, touching people. <laughs> I still work on my roommates. And my partner and I do um, body work exchanges. What other things inspire you in life if this, if this is not something that you're going to be able to dedicate a lot of time to? I'm turning my attention a lot to the movements around the globe to change the system, you know? Like, we have a lot of big decisions to make about how this country is run, and it is up to us, and we have the power to shape it if we want to, but it's time to step up and, like, step into those roles. With this administration in our in our government how it's been i mean not to, to like freak anyone out if they haven't really thought about this but like our governments aren't here to help us yeah. 
And I don't, I for one do not feel safe. I feel like we only have each other. If that's what we got to focus on, then I think that people should take care of themselves and take care of the people around them. And that is a radical thing to do, to check in on people, show up for them in whatever safe way you can and be compassionate. I don't know how I can take part right now in a more active, like physical, physically active way because I take care of an immunocompromised person. And in its own way, that is, that's a really radical act of care. You know, it's really important that we have people taking care of folks who are at risk, at high risk for COVID. I feel really inspired by the community that is making it work and and finding ways to connect with each other, even though we can't really come in contact with each other. It's like no one really thought like a revolution would look like this. <laughs> like, I think everyone thought it would be sexier or something like that. We would all be like, there'd be like burning buildings and we would all be like huddled together, loving each other. But it's not like that. And I'm we got a lot to work with still. So. Yeah. And then music is another passion of mine. So I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. (laughs) Just even listening to you talk about this stuff. And I think Liz was feeling it too. Like we're hungry for, for a touch and we're hungry for our bodies to feel safe and attended to. And that's not something that a lot of us can do for the listeners. Um, who are this is maybe coming up in their body while they're listening. Are there any other small ways that they can attend to their own material? Stretching and walking goes a long way. I think walking especially can be really embodying if you can walk. Doing anything that makes you feel in touch with yourself. We have a lot more time right now. And exercise is one of those things that everyone's like, I can't do it, I don't have time. And it's like, it's like, well, we have a lot of time now, you know? I think pushing ourselves to do the hard thing, which is make ourselves get up every day and (laughs) acknowledge all the grief we have and then move through it and then work on our physical selves for the betterment of ourselves is, is something that it's just hard, you know, but it, it has to be done. Mm. You know, having animals around makes a big difference. Um, but for people without animals, I think meditating, I think meditating for everyone is great, honestly. And also like talking to yourself. When I'm feeling like I really need touch or like I'm floating away. Sometimes I imagine myself at different ages during that time. And I kind of just like hold on to my heart, tap myself in the center of my chest. And I just, I'm, I kind of remind myself that I'm I'm here and I'm okay and I'm safe and I'm loved and if I'm not loved by anyone else I'm loved by me although I think in the past couple of years I've come to a point of faith and I think this has actually come through bodywork is having this like faith and in, in interconnectedness between us all I believe I believe in us and I believe that like Our compassion and kindness matters in this world to each other because we can feel each other, like everyone. Whether we choose to ignore it or not and suffer from that is real, you know? (laughs) But I think that we can give ourselves this love 
in the meantime while we're waiting to get the physical touch. And generally we want physical touch to be reminded that we're alive. Our lives mean something and that like, you know, to have that reflection back. Why do you love what you do? Oh my gosh, why do I love what I do? Oh, I love what I do because it it makes me feel completely connected to humanity in a way that I never felt connected to, you know? It gives me hope to see how much strength people have. To, to see and feel the pain and, and weigh the pain with them and then to also see, like, them on the other side of that, you know? Even if it's just for a day. Another thing that I really love about this work is that I get to empathize with people. Feel what it feels like to touch their skin and feel what their body feels like to them. It's a beautiful thing. People are so cool. <laughs> Me too. They're really cool and they're still there and we we have so much to look forward to, honestly. So Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. The time that Grasha makes for each client, the space she holds, resonates with me on a granular level. So much of the creative practice is about listening and then responding to that material continuously. I wanna dedicate this episode to a friend and creative collaborator, Elizabeth Jameson. Elizabeth and I met when I began working as her artist assistant after responding to a particularly intriguing Craigslist ad in 2014. Elizabeth is an artist who creates using images of her own brain scan. She was diagnosed with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis in 1991 and is now living with quadriplegia. Being a quad can mean different things to different people. For Elizabeth, it means she doesn't have use of her arms, hands, legs, feet. Um, she is in a wheelchair. It's because of Elizabeth that I began writing and sharing my creative work. Over the years, we had many intimate conversations about what living in her body felt like. We began writing together. It takes time to get to know someone's inner world, but when we give ourselves time to really see and hear one another, we expand our understanding of everything. Elizabeth shared one story in particular with me that resonates and continues to inform my everyday. With the inability to reach out and touch people she loves, she found a new language of intimacy. She uses a speech amplifier when she's out and about uh, because her voice is hard to hear. And she told me about a time when a friend was adjusting her levels uh, the volume that her voice was coming out of the amplifier, in a crowded coffee shop. When he got the levels just right, their eyes locked, and they both understood each other. Sitting with Grasha a few weeks ago, 10 feet away, her hand on my precious recorder and her voice in my ears, I felt this connection. So to anyone who has a complicated relationship with touch or the body, connection is still possible. We can still listen. I'm already stoked for episode six. Uh, tune in next month where we will be exploring a material many of us are immersed in. We'll be talking to a creative who harnesses that material to tell stories, express emotion, and make tangible the space between producer and listener. Take
Something not to 